It is good to see all of you. It is good to have the opportunity to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. And I hope that uh, this is a weekend that is just having you filled with gratitude. And uh, we're glad for the opportunity to be together. And I do welcome you, whether you are listening today in the live auditorium, maybe live in one of our other venues, the classic venue, or maybe on the Moon Campus. It was my privilege last weekend to be on the Moon Campus with our team there. And we had such a great time with them. And it wasn't just because they gave me candy, which they did. In fact, there was a whole basket. Everybody got candy. And I thought, is this what's happening every week at Moon? I'm going to be at Moon every week. And uh, so uh, I know that we have some folks sitting right here who are a regular part of the Moon campus, and uh, they're affirming that this happens week in and week out. But we had a great time, but welcome to all of you folks at Moon. So appreciate all of you. It's so good to have the opportunity to fellowship with you last weekend. Maybe you're listening today online, and if that's where this is finding you, Welcome to you also. I trust that you are celebrating this Thanksgiving weekend with great joy. Now, before we jump into the topic at hand for today, I want to draw your attention to one very, very important thing that I am super excited about. We are starting a new sermon series next weekend, our Christmas series, and we're calling it Imagine. Imagine, because we're going to be imagining what God might have in store for us as a congregation, as, as people. Imagining where God might desire us to take us, to take us as individuals or as a congregation. Imagining what God might do in our midst as we seek to reach out to other people. And so this is our theme for the whole season. And to help us focus together on that, we have prepared for you a daily devotional for all of December. And some of you have already received this at home. It's been mailed to you. If you're on the Pathway mailing list, it will be arriving if it hasn't already. The devotions run December 1st through the 31st, and so you'll need it by the 1st, but there's something for every day. This has been written by our own staff, and so you'll be able to see who's written each one, and you can, can kind of follow along in that way. Also excited that our children's ministry and youth ministry are going to be covering the same weekly themes that we are covering in the worship center as well. So the topics are the same, and as you make your way through the devotional booklet, you'll see each new week is introducing the new theme, and the devotions follow along that theme. It's all tied together, and I think we're going to have a fantastic Christmas season together. I'm so excited about this. If you are not on the Pathway mailing list for some reason, then you can stop at the Information Center after the service if you're in person, or if you haven't uh, received it by December 1st, that you could contact the church office and they can make sure that you get one so that you can be following along with this all the way through this. And there's a lot more detail in here and you can, can read about that and uh, we're just going to have a great time together as we imagine what God has in store for for us through this season. So be watching your mailboxes. It should be arriving. If for some reason it doesn't, then uh, let us know. You can stop by and uh, pick one up for yourself. Imagine for this Christmas season. But this, of course, is Thanksgiving weekend. It is a season of the year. It's a time of the year when we focus our attention around one bird. 
the Ravens. <laughs> At least this year, that's, uh, that's kind of where we are because we play them on this particular weekend. But that's not, of course, what I'm thinking about. The bird that we have in mind this season is the the turkey, that's right, the turkey. Some of you didn't answer because you thought I was setting you up, but I would never do that. <laughs> you don't believe me. All right. Now, I think the turkey is a good mascot for this holiday because turkeys are good eating. I believe that to be the case. At least I know some people don't particularly like it, but I do. But it wouldn't be a very good mascot for our country. But it might be a little bit apocryphal, but it's been told that Benjamin Franklin actually was one who would have preferred the turkey to the bald eagle as our national emblem. He said that the turkey has a better moral character than what the bald eagle has because of just the way that it gets its food and, and that sort of thing. But, I mean, is that really what we want? I mean, what about you? Would you rather have this as your national emblem or this as your national emblem? I mean, you can make, you can make the yourself. I think it's pretty clear what we should do. Because if you get the wrong mascot, it can be demoralizing. Just ask the University of California, Santa Cruz, banana slugs. That's their mascot. I'm not making this up their team nickname, the Banana Slugs? Or how about the Scottsdale Fighting Artichoke? That's really their mascot. I am not making, you can go home and you can look this up. Don't look it up while we're uh, going here, but you can look it up later. Or how about the Campbell University Fighting Camels? Now their mascot was previously the Hornets, which seems perfectly fine to me that that sounds like a good mascot to me, but apparently they were trying to help their sports teams just get over the hump. And so, you know, they have, uh, yeah, all right, yeah, well, that's what they said anyway. So mascots are important, and when it comes to Thanksgiving, I think that it's right that we would think about turkey. But also, when it comes to Thanksgiving, what else do you think about? Now, the natural answer, of course, would be, well, giving thanks, Right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And in fact, today we are actually wrapping up a sermon series that we've been in for the last four weeks. We wrap it up today. We've called it More Than a Feeling. We've talked about lament. We've talked about hope. We've talked about fear. We've talked about regret. And today we're going to wrap this up thinking about gratitude. And you might say, well, you know, on this Thanksgiving weekend, Pastor Jeff, that seems a little bit predictable, and on first blush, I would have to agree with you that that is the case. But the fact of the matter is that this particular year has been anything but predictable. And so as we come to Thanksgiving, I think it's appropriate that we would put it in this sort of context and think about gratitude and where we are because some of us don't necessarily feel all that grateful for some circumstances that have been happening all around us. Sometimes, and for some of us, we come into this season with a little bit of baggage, to say the least. Now, I'm not sure that, to honestly, we, we all even really recognize exactly how we've been impacted. We haven't, as we've sort of tried to march our way through these seasons, that we haven't necessarily even fully gotten ourselves or gotten a grip ourselves on all of the circumstances and exactly where we're landing on this and necessarily even where we all find ourselves to be as we think about this topic of 
Thanksgiving. So I think it's appropriate that we would spend some time thinking about the, the attitude of gratitude, if you will. We started this series by looking at lament, which I think is a very fitting expression for the seasons that we have been going through. We pointed out that more than a third of the psalms are actually psalms of lament. Now today we're going to come to a different kind of psalm. It is actually a psalm of thanksgiving. And you might say, well, that sounds very different than a psalm of lament. And it does sound different on the surface, but they aren't that different at all. In fact, they're very, very closely tied together because psalms of thanksgiving are oftentimes born out of the attitude that the psalmist is experiencing having come out of a circumstance of lament. Or does the fact that there has been some sort of a challenge that actually heightens the level of thanksgiving or gratitude that the psalmist is feeling? And we're going to see that in the psalm that we're going to be looking at today. And I invite you to go ahead and turn to Psalm 30. Psalm 30, it's where we're going to be looking. There are some distinctive features about this psalm. One of them is that we're going to see that there are a number of different contrasts that are made here in this psalm. And you'll, you'll find those as we make our way along. Some different contrasts going on here. And again and again, we read the testimony of God taking something that is negative or difficult or challenging or problematic and turning it to good. And what results? Gratitude. Gratitude. That's where this psalm is. And I think that we can pop ourselves in the middle of this and understand it and see it as we make our way along. And that's what I'd encourage you to do. We see this right off the bat as it gets started right at the beginning of Psalm 30. If you want to just follow along, I'll put most of these verses on the screen. Or if you have a Bible or something open, your Bible app, you can follow it right along there as well. But Psalm 30 gets started with these words. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. The first transition that brings gratitude comes in the move from despair to hope. Four different moves here, transitions. Despair to hope is the first of these. In these first verses, we find that David has been very ill. Now, we're not talking about a hangnail here. We're not talking about he's got a cold. He's despairing for life itself. Did you see it there in verse 3? You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. That's where David believes that he is or where he has been or the depth of his circumstance. We come to understand because of the way that he describes it right there. Here David is using an interesting verb that pictures a bucket that goes down into a well and it picks up out of the well that which is inside. And that's where David is finding himself. He says, I was at the bottom of the well. I had no hope. I had one foot in the grave and God reached down and picked me up out of the depths, out of the worst of the circumstances that I was in. And you can see exactly how convinced he is that the hope that he is finding is found in God. Let me show it to you. If you just go back to verse 1 again, let me read this for you again, just with a little, little different emphasis, and you'll see it. He says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to 
the pit. I think it's pretty obvious what David is thinking and where he's finding his hope and the despair that he was in and now the hope that he has found. He knows where it's come from. David has clearly come to a place where he recognizes that God is the one behind what's happening for him. But it wasn't always that way. There were plenty of times when David found himself in circumstances where he's kind of wondering, God, where are you? What's going on? Why is this happening to me? Why can't I see your hand at work? Are you even out there, God? Is essentially where David was at different times. But now he has moved from that. Gratitude previously was not on his lips. Things were working to put a distance between himself and God. And that same thing can happen for us. We too are in the danger of having that same thing happen to us. See, in our lives, we've developed levels of expectation. That is, there are certain qualities of life that we have come to expect. Now, it's a little different for each of us. We see it a little bit differently, but for the most part, all of us would say that we've come to a place, or if we're honest with ourselves, we've come to a place where there's certain things we expect to be the case for us, typically with regard to health and, and employment and, and family and home and so on. But it can be that the blessings are so consistent that we assume that they'll, they're going to be there. They're going to continue to be there. In fact, it happens so much that we can actually get to the place where we feel that these are, are rights that we're owed because God is so consistent in providing them for us. We start to take on that sort of spirit and attitude. And when we get there, there are a couple of different dangers that set in. The first of those dangers is that if these are rights that we are owed, then what it does, it steals the impetus for us to give praise and adoration and thanksgiving and gratitude to God for the circumstance we find ourselves in. There's no impetus to do so because we see that these are things that we're, we're owed. We'd never say that, but we operate that way. And so it steals from us the impetus to get on our knees or jump up and down and celebrate God's goodness and express our gratitude to God because we're taking for granted the things that have come our way. We see it as things that we just deserve. There are a couple of old friends who hadn't seen one another for quite some time and they ran into one another on the street and so they started talking and the one could see the other guy was kind of sad he said, well, what's wrong? What's going on? He said, well, my, three weeks ago, my uncle died. He said, oh, I'm sorry. But you left me $40,000. He said, okay. He said, then two weeks ago, a cousin I didn't even know that I had died and left me $100,000. He said, wow, actually, you sound kind of blessed. He said, well, you don't understand. Then last week, my great aunt died and she left me almost a quarter million dollars. And he said, well, I'm not sure why you're so sad. He said, well, this week, nothing. All right? You get it, right? It's a little bit of a silly illustration, but it kind of makes the point, I think. The trouble with receiving things on such a regular basis is that we come to expect it. And so when it's not there, all of a sudden things seem wrong, and that leads us to the second of the problems. If we see God's blessings as rights, when any of those evidences of God's presence or blessing depart temporarily or permanently, all of a sudden we cry foul. We say that God hasn't been fair with me. God hasn't come through for me. God, where are you? And it's caused some people to actually run away from and leave God. 
because they'd built themselves up in this expectation that these are rights that I am owed. And so when everything doesn't work out very smoothly and very perfectly for us, all of a sudden, God, what's wrong? Why are you not there? Why are you not being fair? Why have you left me on my own? Now, I understand that there are circumstances around us in this year that have lit fires of despair. I get it. I get it. A pandemic that continues to flex its muscles. Racial injustice that is a, is a major circumstance that is only experiencing maybe even minor changes going on around us. As much focus as there been, there's been, not that much has changed. Or the division that exists within our country is deeper and the chasm is greater than it's ever been before. Or so it certainly seems to me, and maybe you also. Fires of despair. And David knew all about that sort of despair. But the interesting thing is, we don't find him despairing. We don't find him throwing in the towel on God. We don't find him losing his faith. We find that his despair has been turned to hope. Not because he's pretending that the dire circumstances aren't a reality or that they weren't the real thing but he's turning to the one who is the source of help and the source of provision. And so the circumstance itself is overcome by the presence of the one through whom he gets his hope. And it's turned his despair to hope because he's recognized what God has done and continues to do for him, how the Lord has provided. So that's the first of the things, moving despair to Hope. And another reason for gratitude is because God turns anger to favor. Anger to favor. Write that down. After expressing gratitude to, to God for his healing and hope, David now turns to the people and he invites them to join in the praising. Take a look at this. Verse 4 is where it starts. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. That's interesting because David asked the people to praise and thank the Lord, not just because the Lord has been gracious to him in this particular circumstance, but because it's God's nature to be gracious. Very important distinction to recognize that. It's not that there's anything wrong with giving praise to God for some specific thing that he has done, kind of a one-to-one -one correlation of this happened, and so I give praise to God for that. But if that's the only arrow in your thanksgiving quiver, then you're going to be left defenseless when it comes to a circumstance where you don't recognize an answer coming from God. Now it's like, God, where are you? We're finding ourselves a bit helpless in that circumstance. David is teaching us a more durable form of gratitude, not in order to be grateful to God for who he is, not just for what he's done. Second half of verse 5 is one of the most beautiful and comforting in all of the Bible. It comes here. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Don't you love that verse? I love that verse. That is so meaningful. That is so powerful. But if that's all that we get out of this little passage here, then we've missed the point. Because that's not ultimately what David's point is. That's very important. But if we miss the first part of the verse, then we're going to miss the point that David ultimately is trying to make. The first part of the verse 
of verse 5 at least comes here. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. What he's trying to say is that while there are occasions when God's anger might be evident, it's always for a good purpose, but it's his favor that endures. It's his favor that lasts forever. God's favor is like a blanket that he covers us with for all of life. And even though you can get sort of poked and prodded with discipline underneath that blanket, his favor, his blanket of favor is never lifted from you as a person of God. Never. That's the part that we really need to make sure that we grasp here. We can be grateful that God turns anger to favor, and we can also be grateful that God turns, thirdly, self-assurance to God-reliance. Self-assurance to God-reliance. As David continues in verse 6, he actually offers us a little flashback to events and attitudes that precede the first verses of this psalm. In other words, this is out of chronological order. Verse 6 belongs before. Here's what he says. Let's show it to you. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I'm silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? In verses 6 through 9 here, I just showed you, I just read for you, David is feeling proud. Did you notice there in verse 6, right at the beginning, when I felt secure, he says. Now, he's not saying, when I felt secure in you, God. He's saying, when I felt secure in myself, in my own strength, in my own ability. See, he's, he's experienced some success, David has, through his life, and it's kind of puffed him up. It's kind of made him say that, I can do this. I can handle this on my own. He's pretty sure of himself, and that's the beginning of his downfall. And that is a threat to us as well because we are people who are so prone to start to run off our own direction and say, I can do this. I got this. And we can wind up in a very deadly place. At the time of his execution, Timothy McVeigh, who you remember is the Oklahoma City bomber, he embraced a poem called Invictus, which means invincible, which is essentially what he was declaring himself to be. It's a poem that was written in 1875 by an obscure British poet named William Ernest Henley. as a tribute to self-reliance, essentially. And so right at the time of his death, McVeigh quoted from the last stanza of that poem, which maybe you've heard, but it's so chilling. It goes like this. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Satan just starts to salivate when we start to declare this sort of self-reliance. 
You see, it's right when David says, I will never be shaken, that the ground beneath him is starting to tremble. You can see it right here in verse 6. There's no room for God here. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. It's a dangerous place to be. Self-confidence rather than God-confidence is a common failure among us, blessed as we are with wealth and education and technical skills and opportunity. There is so much that is ours. As a people, we assume that we can prosper for an indefinite period of time just based on our own hustle. As a nation, we think that we can survive on the strength of our military might and our industrial production and our economic prowess. But we have no promises that those things are not going to crumble right out from under us. In fact, unlike any other time, I don't have to work nearly so hard to try to convince you of that because we've started to see it, haven't we, over these recent months. We've seen how we could get to a place where there would be an economic collapse. We've imagined how a food supply chain could break down to the point where we couldn't get the things that we want or that we feel that we need. And if that causes us to humble ourselves and look outside of ourselves and recognize that we don't have it all covered all by ourselves, then so much the better. And that's actually going to work to our benefit. I'll explain that as we go on. See, that's what David does here. He realizes that neither he nor his nation have what it takes to continually be sustained in the face of the challenges that are coming their way. So, in gratitude, he moves from self-assurance in verse 6 to God-reliance in verse 10. Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. This is David repenting of his arrogance, of his self-assurance, of taking care of things on his own. He says, Lord, be my help. He's saying, I can't do this on my own. I recognize it. I've tried it. I've gone my own way. I've done my own thing. I've thought that I'm all the rage. Now he says, I can't do it. You're going to have to lead me. I know that's not a very American thing to say, that we need somebody else's help, but it's a very godly thing to say because it takes us to a place of God-reliance instead of self-assurance. It takes us to a place of humility. David, for his part, recognizes what is needed to find his way out of the pit that he was in, and it didn't have anything to do with how secure he could make himself. In fact, he came to realize that he has no control, but that God has complete control. So he moves from self-assurance to God-reliance. And friends, as soon as we can get to that place, our gratitude is going to soar because we're going to recognize that God is the one who provides and cares for us in our need, and can take us to places that we can't possibly take ourselves. 
And so we think all of these circumstances of 2020 have just been detriment upon detriment. Friends, I think there's been some benefit if it takes us to the place where we recognize that we can't just handle it on our own and that we need to rely on the goodness and the provision of God. That will cause our gratitude to soar. Then one last cause for gratitude is because God turns grief to joy. This brings us to verse 11. It says this, You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. I mentioned earlier that this is a psalm of interesting contrasts. Well, we see a few of them right here in verses 11 and 12 that we have just looked at. It says, first of all, we see that David's wailing is turned into dancing. People say it's kind of the opposite with me, that whenever they see me dancing, they start wailing. But this is different. What's going on here? He's turning wailing to dancing. What's going on? Well, notice how the extremes of emotions that are here. Wailing is about as bad as it gets. It's like intense sorrow. It causes us to wail. And David had found himself there. But that's been turned to dancing. What's dancing? Dancing is light. It's when, our, it's when our spirit feels light. David said that transition is something that God has brought for him and can bring for us. Next, we see that God removes sackcloth and replaces it with joy. Sackcloth was an accepted attire for someone who was mourning or for someone who was repenting of their sin. And when we repent of our sin, what do we find? We find forgiveness. And with forgiveness comes joy because we're back in fellowship with God. And then the last of the contrasts is in the psalm is between singing and being silent. We all know that when there's great heaviness in our heart, it can be hard, not impossible to sing. But here David has been brought to the place where he's breaking into song, where his silence is gone because of what it, God has done for him. Look what happens to David as he returns to God. He says actually there at the end of verse 12, Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Or even more literally, that would be translated, I will give you thanks forever. We can give thanks to God because He turns our grief to joy. You know, one of the things that is most striking about this psalm of gratitude is that it's about a journey. Because David knew what he had been spared he knew what he had been brought from and to. God changed where he had been, his lowly condition, and lifted him up, and he knows it. See, it's always in knowing what you've been brought out of that makes you most grateful for what you're being brought into. Now, I understand that when we have something in our past that's embarrassing, something that is difficult, something that's sinful. We just want to forget it, right? We want to push it away. We don't want to remember it ever again. If it never comes to mind, we're happy with that. But it might just be in this context 
that there's actually a benefit to remembering. See, that's what David does here. It's, he's got this internal reminder of the past that actually causes his gratitude to soar. Likewise, when you remember what you've been brought out of, what you've come from, you'll recognize just how far you have come. And it's likely that the wider the gap there is between what you've come out of and where you've come to, the greater your gratitude's going to be. If you only recognize it to be this, that's how big your gratitude is. If you recognize really where you've come from and where God has brought you, your gratitude will fit accordingly. Now, this is also true for where we find ourselves in the moment, right? You might find yourself today in some struggle. You might find yourself in some sin. Well, what you can do is you can look and you can project this, and you can recognize that for as deadly and as difficult and as much in the pit as you feel today, that there is a joy, that grief can be turned to joy, that you can experience the fullness of God's blessing for the future, if you'll just pursue it, if you'll just go after it. His anger might last for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last for a day, for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's his, what his desire is for you. That's where you can be. That's what you can live in. That's what you can experience. Whatever you're going through right now, you can raise your sights. You can see where David ends up that will bring gratitude to your spirit, to your soul. See, the more that you press into where God desires to take you, the greater your gratitude will be. Do you get that? Because we are in a certain place right now, and we so often think, well, gratitude, thanksgiving, it's kind of a passive attribute. We just sort of find ourselves on the spot, and we say, well, thanks, God, for doing that. Or I'm thankful that this is true that this has transpired in my life. And so we're kind of passive. But you see, what David is suggesting for us here is that we can be active in our thanksgiving. We can cause our gratitude to grow. Because again, if we're thinking that the span between where we were and where we are is the, is the perception or the understanding of how great our gratitude is, we can push ourselves forward. And the closer we get to God, the further we get from the sin and the greater the gap the thanksgiving, the gratitude gap, if you will. You can press yourself there. You recognize it also works the other way. The more that we recognize where we've come from, what God has saved us from, how much in despair we really were, how we also had one foot in the grave, how we were deep in the well until God lifted us out. But the more that we say, yeah, I got it going on. Things are going just fine. I can provide for myself the more we bring that understanding of what we've been saved from forward, and the less is our gratitude. And some of us are stuck there. We're not very grateful people because we rest too much. We recognize, too, we give ourselves too much credit. The more that we recognize that we were dead in our sin, that we had no hope apart from God, that our desire, like those in Genesis 6, is to do only evil all the time. To recognize that that is our starting point. And God has brought us to salvation. God has brought us to a place of recognizing His goodness. Brought us to a place of forgiveness from sin. 
the greater the gratitude gap, the more that our praise and thanksgiving is going to be given to God. So, recognize where you are. Don't work against yourself by closing the gap. Allow it to grow. That's what David does. And because he recognizes that he was in despair and ends up in hope, that it was all about self-assurance and then it's God-reliance, and it was grief and now it's joy, he recognizes the breadth of it all. And as a result, we see him giving his praise and thanksgiving to God. We can live there too. It's not just, and I would urge you, in this thanksgiving consideration, to not just sit back and try to think, well, what am I thankful for? Thankful for family. I'm thankful for my job. Nothing wrong with being thankful for those things. But if we really want to develop a heart of gratitude connected to God, because you might have thankfulness for your job because you've been doing such a great job and, and you're stealing the ability to be really grateful before God. Recognize where He's brought you, where you started and where you are, and it'll be a brand new form of gratitude that maybe you've never really offered before God at this season of the year. It can be transformational. What does that mean for you? What will that look like for you to move in that direction instead of the common, traditional direction perhaps you've moved? I so desire that for you and for me to do that contemplation and allow our gratitude to truly soar. Heavenly Father, There is so much to be thankful for. Blessing upon blessing. Lord, take us beyond just a passive recognition of the things that happen to be true of my life now. And may our gratitude instead be inspired by a recognition of where we were and where you've brought us and where you desire to continue to take us for we recognize in that we will see that your anger may last for a moment, but your favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Lord, help us to soar as David soars, recognizing the full breadth of what you have done in us and for us. And for it, we express our gratitude. Thankful for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.